Good morning, church. I, I'm not exaggerating when I say this is my favorite moment every week, is just standing here and just looking at you and thinking to myself and expressing out loud that I love you, and I'm so incredibly thankful uh, for this church family, both those of you that are gathered here and those that are participating online. I am so incredibly thankful to live life with you, to go through the ups and downs, the highs and the lows, the, the joys and the struggles with you. Uh, one of the things that has always fascinated me, and I, every week I feel like I tell you another story that illustrates how strange and weird I am, but one of the things that, that I've always uh, been fascinated by is old abandoned houses. I grew up in, in rural Kansas and scattered across the plains of America. There are thousands of abandoned houses that look just almost exactly like that everywhere. I'm sure you've seen houses like that. I'm sure there's plenty in, in Texas as well. And as you're driving along, you'll see these old abandoned houses. And I always, I'm always fascinated by these houses. I'll probably sit there and think about it for, for an hour. No, maybe not that long. But I'll, I'll sit there and think about it for a long time as I'm driving. And I, I pass by one of these houses my mind goes back in time and I think there was a moment when there was nothing right there. A moment where it was just a plot of land. And then someone, maybe it was an individual, maybe it was a family, somebody decided to, to build a house right there. And they, they went about making preparations and it was just an idea in their head. It was just a, a concept. It was just a dream. And, and then they started to, to build and they, they laid a foundation and they gathered all of the materials and they, they built their house. And some houses are, are small, some are big. But regardless, there was a moment when, when it was finished, right? Every single old, abandoned, dilapidated house, every single one of them, there was a moment when the last nail was driven in and Whoever built it was satisfied. And oh, isn't that wonderful? Isn't it exciting? This beautiful brand new house and, and covered with a fresh coat of paint and new shingles on the roof. And, and they looked at this and they were excited about it. And there was probably a family. Maybe it was, maybe it was a, an individual or maybe it was a couple. Maybe, it was, maybe they had kids and they, they moved into this house for the very first time. It was, it was brand new and there was all sorts of dreams and possibilities and they... They had their entire future in front of them. And every time I see a house like that, I, I, I think about what that, that first day in that new house was like. And I wonder if they thought ahead and thought someday this house will be old and dilapidated and abandoned and no one will live in it and it will be falling down and there'll be nothing left. I doubt it, right? I doubt anybody was thinking of that. We don't tend to think about things that way, do we? At the beginning of things, we don't think about the end of things. It's only when we get closer and closer and closer to the end that we start to really think about it. But Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes encourages us to be wise and think about things like this, that everything new will one day be old. Everything fresh will one day be worn out. And sadly, everything alive will one day be 
dead. Now, I'm sure you're thinking, well, thanks for that sobering thought this morning, Wes. That's really an encouraging way to start off of our week. And, and I know it's hard. We don't, we don't like thinking about these kinds of things, do we? But, but let me give you two reasons why this morning, especially, this is important for us to think about. One, our, our theme for the year is reflect and renew. Reflect. And, and reflection, self-examination, to ask, who am I? Where am I? Where am I going? Where am I headed? Am I, am I on the right track? These kinds of questions are, are sobering. And sometimes they're, they're somber. And for another reason, next Sunday, we're going to be talking, the whole world is going to be talking about resurrection, and we're all going to be talking about how wonderful it is that Jesus raises the dead, that Jesus himself has been raised from the dead, and Jesus will one day raise all of his people to live forever. That's wonderful. That's exciting. But here's the thing. You can't have resurrection without death. You can't have resurrection without death, although sometimes we would like to, wouldn't we? We would like to. We would like to just have resurrection. Let's just talk about resurrection and not talk about death. Let's just talk about the beginning and not talk about the end. Let's just talk about the fresh and never talk about the worn out. Let's just talk about the new and never talk about the old. Let's just talk about the happy and never talk about the sad. We live in a culture, we live in a culture that encourages us to think that way, don't we? In fact, some have said that the modern American culture is a death-denying culture. A death-denying culture. It isn't, it isn't that any of us actually don't think that we're going to die. We, we don't deny it to that degree, but we just don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to have conversations about it. We say that's so, that's so morbid, that's so discouraging. Let's not talk about those kinds of things. But Reflection, reflection on mortality, reflection on the beginning as well as the end, reflection on life as well as death is important if we are going to be wise. Again, again, anybody, when, when things are getting close to the end, right before they moved out of that old abandoned house, right before they moved out, they knew this house has gotten old. This house isn't good for anything anymore. But at the beginning, it's hard to be wise enough to look down the road and to see the end, to say, we need to enjoy this house. We need to make the most of this house we need, to, we need to live every moment and enjoy every moment because we recognize that someday the end will come. It is a wise thing to be able to think about the end even at the beginning. To be able to think about things getting old even while things are still new. To think about things wearing out even while things are still fresh. To think about death even as we are alive. Let's, let's look at our text this morning, and this is a text that has been on my heart for quite some time, a text that I often read at, at funerals, and, and one in which I think we would, do, we would do well to reflect. Again, if we're going to be people who celebrate resurrection, then we also have to be people who can deal soberly and honestly with death. 
If we're going to be people who reflect on our life and who we are and where we're headed and how we're living, then we have to be people who listen to the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, some people don't like this book, but I, I don't know that there's a, a book in the, in the Bible that is more relevant for our culture than this one. In fact, I would, I would love to do a series. I keep talking about doing a series or writing a book, The Gospel According to Ecclesiastes. Because we, we live in a culture that denies the wisdom that the preacher of Ecclesiastes is preaching to us. Listen to Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 1. I love this translation. It says, a good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. That's good, isn't it? What does, what does perfume do? Perfume covers, covers things up, doesn't it? Perfume is like, a, is like a, a fresh coat of paint. Perfume makes things smell good, at least on the surface, but the truth is the stink is still under there, right? I mean, that's the truth, isn't it? That, that the reality is still there. It's just that perfume and costly pure perfume, it really covers over well. And again, we, we live in a culture that we like to put a fresh coat of paint on things. Make things appear young. Make things appear new. Make things appear fresh. Make things smell good. But the reality is still there. And the preacher of Ecclesiastes says, a good reputation or a good name is more valuable than costly perfume. A good reputation is reality. It's truth. It's who you really are. Not, not just how you smell when you put on costly perfume, but who you really are, who you are underneath, who you've proven yourself to be, who you've proven yourself to be over the course of your lifetime. That's what's valuable. Not how you, how you look in the moment, not how you smell in the moment, not whether or not you can cover over the truth or paint over the truth or perfume over the truth, but who you've proven yourself to be day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. That's what's valuable, a good reputation, a good name. And then he goes on to say, and, and we might be tempted to argue with this, but listen, and the day you die is better than the day you are born. What? How, how are you going to say something like that? How, could that? how could that be true? Again, remember that he's talking about a good reputation. Good reputation. Who you've proven yourself to be. And that really only comes to be seen at the end of your life. Not at the beginning of your life. At the beginning of your life, it's still yet to be seen. Who's this person going to be? How are you going to live? What are you going to do? But at the end, you've proven, oh, you lived well. You, you did what you were supposed to do. You took care of things. You were the man or the woman that you were supposed to be. You have a good reputation. You have a good name. You lived life well. One interpretation of this passage thinks about it like ships. And when a ship sails off, there tends to be a big party, doesn't there? A big celebration. Bon voyage. Oh, yes, it's going to be a, a wonderful voyage. And we tend to celebrate the beginning more than the end. But why? When, it, when the voyage begins, you don't really know how that trip is going to go. 
You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how the captain's going to do. You don't know what storms they're going to have to face. You ought to be a little more trepidatious when the voyage begins. It's when the voyage is over. That's when we ought to celebrate. That's what's more valuable. The end is in many ways more important than the beginning. But yet we tend to put a lot of emphasis on the beginning, don't we? We put a lot of emphasis on the fresh, a lot of emphasis on the new, a lot of emphasis on the youth, so much so that we try to stay young forever or at least look young forever and we put a fresh coat of paint on everything or we put a fresh coat of perfume on everything and try to make everything look like it was in the beginning. But the preacher wants us to recognize, actually, give a little bit more thought to the end. Give a little bit more thought to who you are becoming. Give a little bit more thought to the end of your life and not just looking back at the beginning of it. Look at verse 2. Better to spend your time, again, man, this is tough, better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. See, there's the reflection, isn't it? There's the reflection. that We have to reflect on this. He says, if you're going to be wise, then if you're alive, you should take this to heart. You should reflect on this. Reflect on the fact that everyone dies. And we say, well, I I know that, Wes. Everybody knows that everyone dies, but we know that intellectually, some of us haven't let that truth sink into our heart very deeply because we just don't like to, do we? But throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture, wise, godly people are asking God, Psalm 19, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days so that we can get a heart of wisdom. Or Psalm 39 verses 4 through 6. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Again, if you go back to that old, dilapidated, abandoned house, what if the people at the beginning were to say, let me, let me keep in mind that this house isn't going to last forever and I need to enjoy every day in this house because it's wearing out. Everything is wearing out. Paul calls it bondage to corruption. Everything that's new is getting old. Everything that's fresh is wearing out. Everything that's alive is dying. And it's not a good thing. It's just reality. It's all, we all are in bondage to corruption. And scripture tells us it's wise to beg God, to plead with God, to pray to God, teach us, to number our days. Teach us how fleeting we are. Teach us that we are a vapor that appears for a short time and then we're gone. He says, better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. We don't like funerals, do we? Nor should we like funerals. He's not suggesting that we like death. He's just telling us, that's your classroom. The funeral is your classroom. And you'd be wise to learn from the funeral. Now, now some of you, some of us, you're getting 
close to that point in your own life. And so nobody has to teach you to number your days. Or some of you, because of your health, no one has to teach you to number your days. Or some of you, because of the losses that you've experienced personally, nobody has to teach you to number your days. But some of us are young and healthy and haven't experienced much loss. And we would do well to listen to the preacher of Ecclesiastes. To be wise. To think about the end, even while we're still in the beginning. To think about getting old, even while we're still young. To not deny this reality. To learn from this reality. To go to funerals. Let me just say let me just say this. Go to funerals. Go to funerals. Not, not just people in your immediate family. Go to funerals to support your brothers and sisters in Christ. Go, go to funerals to, to be part of a community that lifts one another up and walks through tragedies with one another. But also go to funerals for your own sake. Because you learn something at funerals you don't learn at parties. It helps to teach us to number our days. Then he says in verse 3, Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. Let me stop there for a second. Because what he's not saying, he's not saying don't be sad. He's not saying don't be sad. He's not saying you should be happy at a funeral. That's not what he's saying. And too often I hear Christian people striving because they think they're supposed to not be sad. I hear Christian people tell me all the time, and it breaks my heart, and I'm on a mission to stop people from saying this, but I hear Christian people say, I know it's selfish for me to be sad. Please stop saying that. It's not selfish for you to be sad when you lose someone that you love. Even if you know they're with the Lord, it is not selfish for you to be sad. We, we grieve. Jesus wept. Jesus wept at a funeral for a friend that he knew he was going to raise from the dead. Jesus wept. Funerals are sad. Death is sad. And it's okay for you to be sad. In fact, when we push grief and sorrow and sadness away from us, and we say, I'm not going to let it into my life. I'm not going to be sad. I'm not going to let myself be sad. Then we forfeit the refining effect that sadness has on us. It refines us. It makes us wiser when we go through difficult times. That's why James could say, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Not because these trials don't make you sad, but because sadness and sorrow and grief and mourning refines us. It makes us wiser. He says, verse 4, a wise person thinks a lot about death while a fool thinks only about having a good time. I read a story here recently. Eugene Peterson and his wife were visiting a, a monastery. And as they went from prayers to their lunch, they passed by the, the small cemetery in the courtyard of the monastery, and there was an open grave in the cemetery, which they thought was strange. And so Mrs. Peterson asked, 
did one of the, the monks die recently? To which the person who was giving them the tour said, oh, no, no, that's for the next one. That's for the next one. Every day, multiple times a day, as they went about their business, they had to pass by the open grave knowing that any one of them might be the next one. A wise person thinks a lot about death. My dad talks a lot about death, and it bothers me when he talks about death. He, he lost his grandparents before he was even born. My, my dad never knew his grandparents. He never had grandparents in his lifetime. And then his parents, my grandparents, they passed away when my dad was, was a young father himself. So he lost his, both of his parents many years ago. And then he, he had one older sister who died a couple of years ago. And right after she died, he recognized that not only was he an orphan, but now all of his entire childhood family was gone. And he said to me and to my, my sisters, he said, I'm going to be the next one from my, my family of origin to die. And, and we said to him, don't say that. It was true, though. He, he is going to be, of the four of them, he will be the next one to go. And we said, don't say that. Dad, don't, don't talk about that. Don't be morbid. I don't want to think about that. Let's not talk about that. But according to the preacher of Ecclesiastes, my father was being wise, and I was being foolish. I was stopping him from talking about something very important, something that we need to, it doesn't mean that we talk about it all the time, it doesn't mean we only talk about it, nobody wants to talk about this all the time, but it's wise, it's wise to sit down as a family to discuss our own mortality, to discuss life and death, to discuss the end even while you're still in the beginning, to discuss getting old even while you're young. Anyone can think about the end when you're getting close to the end. It takes a wise person to start thinking about the end even while you're still at the beginning of your story. And notice that it isn't just loss. And it isn't just sadness. It's, it's thinking about it. It's reflecting on it that changes us and refines us and brings renewal to us. Now let's skip down to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 8. He says this, Finishing is better than starting, and patience is better than pride. That, that's everything he's been talking about here, isn't it? How are you going to finish? Finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. The foolish person the foolish person is proud. The foolish person is only thinking about today. The foolish person tries to keep everything looking fresh, looking new, looking young, put another coat of paint on it, put another coat of perfume on it, try to keep it looking fresh and new. But the wise person is patient. The wise person is thinking about finishing well. Am I on a course to finish well. Think about that now. Think about that now. We should be thinking about that in our teens. We should be thinking about that in our 20s. We should be thinking about that in our 30s and 40s. We should be thinking about that now, however old you are, asking yourself, am I on a course to finish well? Because finishing is better 
than starting, what will the whole course of my life say about me? A good reputation is better than costly perfume. Because reflecting on death can help us truly embrace life. See, this isn't about death. It's about life. Reflecting on death can help us truly embrace life. Because the wise person, even while they're young, they they reflect on the fact that this, this life of mine, especially this worldly, earthly life of mine, this is what Ecclesiastes is all about, by the way. This life of chasing, this life of pursuing, this life of getting, this life of gaining, this life of trying to hold on to what I have and get what I want, this life isn't going to last forever. When you're young, you think it will, don't you? And you think, I just got to go out there and get what I want and hold on to what I have and build and make and pursue and seek. And then eventually you realize what the writer of Ecclesiastes realized, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The wise person reflects on that now. Even while they have life, even while they have youth, even while they have vitality, And see, this is what we're doing in Christ when we surrender that youth and we surrender that vitality and we surrender that life to Jesus and we say, you're the giver of immortality. This life of pursuing and this life of getting and this life of seeking and this life of holding on to what I have, it's all for nothing. And I want to die now, in a sense, and surrender my life to Jesus That's what we're doing when we're baptized, isn't it? We're surrendering. We're dying to self. And and we say, I I know how that life is going to end. I know how that life of pursuing, that life of accumulating wealth, trying to always get more. I always have to have the, the newest this or the newest that or the shiniest this or the shiniest that. All of that stuff is wearing out. It's all getting old. It's all corrupting. It's all gonna pass away and so am I. So I surrender now. I surrender now and I give my life to Jesus so that he can take and give me the abundant life, the abundant life. See, it's only when we reflect on death that we can truly embrace the abundant life in Christ. And then when we come up out of that water of baptism, that's when we can really start living, start living because now we make the most of every moment we recognize our mortality and we say, I gotta, I gotta stop wasting time chasing stuff. I gotta stop wasting time chasing a bigger house. I gotta stop wasting time chasing a, a newer car. I gotta stop wasting time trying to have the, the latest gadget. I gotta stop wasting time trying to look young and trying to look fresh. I've gotta spend my time on what matters, loving God and loving people. And in Christ, not only are we, are we embracing the abundant life in Christ now, but we have immortality in the life to come. Jesus is going to raise us from the dead so that even though we die, yet shall we live. We're going to live forever, but you're not going to embrace that unless you reflect well on this life and on the vanity of this life. And when we reflect well on that, 
and we surrender to Jesus, we can embrace the abundant life now and the eternal life to come. Maybe there's somebody this morning and you're ready. You're ready to put off the old life, to die to this life, to surrender this life of, of vanity to Jesus, to be raised up to live a new life now, the abundant life now, and the eternal life in the resurrection to come. Or maybe you've already made that commitment, but because we live in a world that tries to deny the reality of mortality, you've lost sight of who you are, to whom you belong, and where you're headed, and you need to recommit your life to him. Or maybe you're just struggling with all the burden and the weight, the things you're dealing with. Whatever it is, we would love to pray with you. We would love to help you. Our shepherds would meet with you after service, or you can come forward now. As together we stand and sing this song.